0: jump off the steps. It didn't matter that he was mad because I was already out the front door.
1: And then she slid a perfect donut on a plate across the table to me.
2: The early days of this world when everything was dreamed into existence. We love
1: stories! It's time for the
3: Apple Seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers since 2013. We've been bringing you tall tales, folk tales, fairy tales, personal tales, family tales, and more. And behind every story is an opportunity for you to think and talk about some of the things that have happened to you, some of the stories that you remember. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me every time you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart, and it's going to be a great hour on the apple seed. We've got a story from the great Chicago area storyteller Dan Kedding, a story called Rudy and the Roller Skate that you're not going to want to miss. You're going to hear also from Diane Edgecombe with a story called The Voice of the Creator from a collection of stories all about trees, tree stories from all over the world. But we're going to begin with a story from Adam Booth. Adam Booth is a multi-time winner of the West Virginia Liars Contest, one of the country's most prominent Tall Tale Contests. This is a story about an ice cream truck. When I was a kid, there was an ice cream truck that came through my town, and I had forgotten all about it until just the other day. My family and I decided we would take a little mountain drive on an afternoon, and we drove into the parking lot of a little picnic area and campground. Pulling out of the parking lot, there was an ice cream truck with the unmistakable ice cream truck music coming through its speaker, and all of us... Us thought, well, if only we had been here 15 minutes earlier, we'd be enjoying some sweet, cold ice cream. Well, here's the story from Adam Booth. It's called The Ice Cream Truck, and we're happy to begin our hour with this tale
0: on the appleseed. Something happened to every child in my neighborhood every year around the middle of June. This was a chemical change and a physical change, we all gained the ability to run faster. I think it had something to do with the fact that school was out. And now, for seven hours every day, we were no longer confined against our wills to be the wild, young animals that we actually were. And we could run wild and free. And as the summer progressed, that ability grew. It might have been just after that, toward the end of June, late in one evening when the sky was gloaming, when all the kids in my neighborhood were in their own backyards by themselves just piddling around, but when we heard that buoyant, hollow sound of a basketball bouncing on concrete from over in the Salmons' backyard, everyone took off running as fast as they could to get over there to see what was going on, fast, fast, till you got there just so you could have a few more minutes of playtime before it got too dark. It might have been at the beginning of July when everyone was on their own front porch swings, just swinging back and forth by themselves. But when one child... Biked down 9th Avenue, everyone jumped up to their feet and took off running. And if you had a bird's eye view of my neighborhood right then, you'd see every kid tearing through their backyard to their outbuildings, grabbing onto their bicycles, and lugging it back to their front yards. Not riding it, but running alongside it with a death grip on the handlebars to get out front and then swinging your leg over that bike seat and pedal alongside with all your other friends from 2nd Street, back to 3rd Street, back to 2nd Street, up 9th Avenue, back to Third Street, because that was as far as we were allowed to go. But there was one thing that happened in our neighborhood that would cause us to run back to our houses that quickly. It might have been the middle of July, when we were all over in the Charlie Tree, our favorite climbing spot, where the first two tiers of branches had bark worn smooth from years of kids lurching their bodies up there. But when we heard that music playing from down the street, it was a tinny recording of a piano that caused our hearts to stop for just a second and then elevate up into our throats. Everyone turned and looked down 2nd Street to see if it could actually be true. And there, driving at 5 miles an hour down Ninth Avenue, was a big white van with cartoons painted on the side and loudspeakers on the top of it, just like we had over in the gym at Kamak Junior High and over at the Olympic pool, and it was blaring out. Dun dun da dun 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 da
4: dun dun da da dun 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 dun.
0: It would have been a perfect scene out of a horror movie, except that ice cream was involved. We all jumped out of the tree with our plan of action, running out of that cloud of dust. You go down the alleyway, you go between the houses, and I'll go down the front sidewalk. We took off running towards our houses, looking over our shoulders to make sure that it was coming, but not too fast. It was only coming at five miles an hour, but it seemed like it was breaking the speed of sound. We tore into the front door of each of our own houses, taking the stairways two steps at a time, calling out, mom i need money until we each got to our own bedrooms turning our piggy banks upside down shaking it with force until the coins fell out onto the carpet gathering all those coins up hoping you had 50 cents in your sweaty palm holding those coins so tightly that they made a mark in your skin and then stopping to listen to make sure that the music was still there that it was still out front
4: dun, dun. Da-da-da-da.
0: It was there, back down the stairs, we took running, 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 till there were four stairs left, and you left off of those stairs and landed, thud, onto the first floor, which prompted Dad to call out, DON'T JUMP OFF THE STEPS. It didn't matter that he was mad, because I was already out the front door. The first thing was to look over to 3rd Street to make sure the van had it passed 3rd Street, because we weren't allowed to cross it. It wasn't there. We scanned down 9th Avenue back towards 2nd Street, and there was the van, stopped in front of Corey and Chad's house, so we took off running till we got there and formed a great. Big line, and even though there were 15 items listed on the outside of the van, and every kid took four whole minutes to make their decision, each kid got the same thing every time. Corey and Chad chose a nutty buddy. Nathan and Beth Ann got ice cream sandwiches. The Joneses chose those strawberry bars with the crushed nuts around the outside. Ashley and Justin from down the street got the ice cream on a stick in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head where the ears were dipped in chocolate and the nose was a gumball. And then when I was up, the very last one, I opened my fist and let the coins fall loose, giving it a shake to get the pennies off which were glued to my palm. I chose an orange sherbet push-up pop the kind with the Flintstones' faces on the outside of that toilet paper tube that contained creamy goodness. We stood there on the side of Ninth Avenue, right at the curb, eating our ice cream. This was the only thing that kept us from running all summer long. The van started back up, and as it putt-putt-putted down Ninth Avenue towards the glass factory, we heard the music getting quieter in the distance. Dun Then came a rainy day, a thunderstorm. It was the summer. And days like this for most of my friends were reserved for catching up on your summer reading lists from school, but for me that kind of day was reserved for playing the piano. We had a piano on the back wall of our house, right next to a window that looked into the backyard. And I didn't take piano lessons, but my brother and sister had, and I kind of learned some from them. And we had a piano bench full of books of music, and I liked to dig through them and pick out the music, one note at a time. And so on this rainy day, I dug deeper than I ever had before and pulled out a book that said, Prokofiev, Peter and the Wolf. I recognized the title because every year in music class, Mrs. Gillespie had taught us about Peter and the wolf. She would explain how the different instruments stood for the different animals, but we never really listened to the music because we were too busy coloring the coloring page that went with it, with a picture of Peter and the wolf and his grandfather and the cat. We colored that same picture every year. And one year I had brought it home and showed my mom, and she looked at it and said... I think this is the same picture that I colored when I learned about Peter and the Wolf at Kamak Elementary School. I pulled that book out of the piano bench, opened it up, and sat down to explore the very first piece, and I was only six or seven notes into it when I recognized the tune. Dun, 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 dun. It was the same melody that played from the recording on the ice cream truck. And something in my head said, you can use this to your advantage. The next day, after all of our backyards had been mowed because our parents swore that the grass grew three inches from the thunderstorm the day before, I looked out the back window and saw one of my friends over in Mrs. Smith's backyard. It was the only backyard that didn't get cut regularly, and he had a kickball, and something in my head said, run down there as fast as you can, and I saw my other friends running over there out the back window, but then, something else in my head said, wait. I looked out the window and watched as my friends assembled, and they did bubblegum, bubblegum, in a dish, how many pieces do you wish, to figure out who would be on which team, and the game started. And I went over to the piano, I opened up the window, I pulled out the Peter and the Wolf book and started to play. And repeated it for good measure. Dum, and that's as far as I got, before I saw my friends running in every direction to get back to their homes. And then something in my head said, you better go out front so you don't blow your cover. I ran out front, looked up and down the avenue, and saw my friends running out of their houses under their front porches with clenched fists full of coins. They looked over to 3rd Street. No ice cream truck. They surveyed down the avenue to 2nd Street. And I looked as the shoulders slumped down. And I could tell that they were all sad. But... I had this rising sense of power. It had worked. I got this tingly feeling in my fingertips, and my head got a little bit cloudy and fizzy, kind of like when you open a pop bottle that you shook a little bit too much. And the next day, we were playing hide-and-go-seek. We used the Charlie tree as home base, and Petey was counting to 50, and everybody else was running off to a hiding spot, but instead of hiding... I ran in the house. I opened up that back window and started to play Peter and the Wolf. Bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And out the window, I could see my friends leaping out of their hiding spots, scattering all over the backyards to try to get to their homes to get some coins. I ran out to the front of my house. I looked up and down the avenue. I saw them all come out and look up and down, and their shoulders dropped again. And my sense of power grew even more. And the next day, when we were out behind the back fence, laying on our stomachs next to the alley, drawing maps of imaginary lands that we had dreamed up, you could hear that tinny recording of the piano. Dun, 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 dun. I jumped up, my heart stopped for just a second, and then elevated up to my throat. Come on, everybody, I said. We got to go home and get money. But my friends didn't move. They kept drawing. Come on, everyone, I said. We got to go. It's the ice cream truck. And one of my friends said, nah, it's not worth it. It's not going to be out there. I said, no, it is. It really is. We got to go. Several of my friends shook their heads. And I said, no, everybody, we really have to go. We're running out of time. It's not me this time. It's really the ice cream truck. And pencils lowered to the ground. What do you mean? It's not you this time. And there was only one thing in my neighborhood that ran faster than children in the summertime. And that was news of a bad child. And by the time I made my way home for dinner that night, my mom had already been called by several other parents. But she didn't tell me. It wasn't until the next day when I heard that tinny recording and took off running to home. When I came in the front door, Mom and Dad stopped me. They said, You will go upstairs to your room and get your piggy bank and bring it downstairs, and you will buy all of your friends ice cream because of what you have done. So I did. And when I came down and opened the front door again, the ice cream truck had parked right in front of our house because Mom had made a special call that morning. And all of my friends were gathered around the ice cream truck, and I slowly walked down the sidewalk. They all looked at me. I opened up my piggy bank and shook the contents out on the counter of the ice cream truck. And even though the list was 15 items long, and every kid took four minutes to choose what they wanted, they got the same thing they always got. Cory and Chad got a nutty buddy. Nathan and Beth Ann an ice cream sandwich. The Joneses got the strawberry bar with the crushed nuts on the outside, Ashley and Justin got the Mickey Mouse head, and when it was my turn, there was no more money left. And the last part of my punishment was that I had to give a private recital for all of my friends, playing Peter and the Wolf while they stood around me eating their ice cream And that afternoon, the only thing that ran quickly was the drips of ice cream down my friend's arms.
3: Adam Booth with a story called The Ice Cream Truck here on the Appleseed. Adam is a wonderful storyteller. He's also a musicologist. He knows all sorts of stuff about music and teaches it as well. And when you, you're you not hearing him tell stories on stage, sometimes you're hearing him sing snatches of an obscure Appalachian murder ballad or something. It's always a pleasure to hear Adam Booth do just about anything he does on stage. And it was a pleasure for us to bring you that story, The Ice Cream Truck. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from Dan Kedding. You're going to hear from Diane Edgecombe with a tree story. You'll hear an entry in the Radio Family Journal about uh, how out in the middle of nowhere and you're going to hear a conversation with Richie Stedman about a podcast favorite. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne.
2: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The
4: Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's such a pleasure for me to have you with us on the Appleseed today. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard a story from the wonderful storyteller Adam Booth, a story called The Ice Cream Truck, and I know what I'm having as a treat before I go to bed tonight, for sure. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story from Diane Edgecombe, a story called The Voice of the Creator, one of a collection of stories about trees from all over the world, but first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share around the kitchen table or the living room. Here's a memory of mine about a car trip with my little boy and a house in the middle of nowhere. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal.
0: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne,
3: a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. There was a summer when I decided I'd go without a cell phone. This was a while ago, in a different time. A time when some grown-ups didn't have cell phones. So not having one didn't send quite the tremor through the world around me that it might today. But yeah, I decided to get out of what I had come to see as a constantly in communication rat race and go phoneless for a while. And on a day in that summer... I loaded my two-year-old son into the old Toyota truck, and we headed to Grandma's house for a visit. Grandma lived some way off. It took hours to get there, and we were all set for a great drive together, my son and me. We had snacks we liked, music to listen to. We liked being together, me safely in my seatbelt, him safely in his car seat, and away we went. Now... We'd been on the road for, I don't know, an hour or so, when the old truck conked out. We pulled off the freeway, the truck engine spewing steam, and there we were, stranded, no phone. And while the engine cooled down, I hoisted my son onto my shoulders, and we began to walk. We were looking for the next house— There had to be some place nearby where we could get a bucket of water to pour into the radiator and get back on our way, right? I mean, there had to be. And as I walked, I'm kicking myself, as you can imagine, for making this the summer when I ditched the cell phone. So inside, I'm grumbling, but outwardly I'm singing songs with my son and hiking along the road with him bouncing on my shoulders, and my brain is going a mile a minute trying to think of what to do. How the heck are we going to figure this out? And then, suddenly, a blessing. A house in the woods. It's on the other side of a tall farm fence which we climbed. An interesting feat when you've got a two-year-old son on your shoulders, but we did it carefully and without incident. We approached the house. No gingerbread, no witch, no people even, we discovered when we knocked on the door, but just a ramshackle old house. Abandoned? It didn't seem so. It seemed well enough kept, and we didn't know where the next house might be, so we hung around for a few moments longer than we otherwise would have, hoping someone would turn up. We walked the length of the house. There was an iron spigot sticking out of the ground next to a garden, and next to the spigot there was a plastic bucket and we were really in need, weren't we? And it took me a long time to decide to do it. But in the end, I took that bucket, and I filled it up at the spigot, and my son and I went back to the truck and filled the radiator, and with hopeful hearts, got the thing going again. We made it to Grandma's house, did our thing, and then headed back home. And on the return trip, we stopped again at that house to see if anyone was home, and to tell them what had happened, and that we'd used their bucket and their spigot, and also to say thanks. And, actually, they were home this time. We got to thank them. It was a nice guy who answered the door, and we chatted with him and his girlfriend for a bit, and I'm glad we got to make that visit. Now, since then, I've passed that house on the road countless times, and I never pass it without feeling a sense of gratitude for the rescue of that bucket and spigot, or for the friendliness of the folks we got to tell about it. It's a regular part of my drive to send up a little prayer of thanks when I pass that house, and I know that there are any number of ways to count the miles on a road you travel often. I know people who keep careful track of the spots where they've been ticketed for speeding, for example, and then carefully remember those spots when they drive that road again. I have a friend who worked for a newspaper taking pictures of auto accidents, and he can point out every place along the freeway where he's seen bad ones, and he knows exactly which ones were fatal. I could landmark the freeway of my life, in any number of ways, I suppose. I suppose I could count the miles in conkings out of the old Toyota, but the truth is, there are as many rescues along my way as there are breakdowns. I try to remember those stories, those moments of grace that come along to help me out of the breakdown, those homes and faces that serve as reminders of the fact that there's help in the world when we're in trouble. That old Toyota truck is long gone now. I haven't been stranded on the road in many years, but I'll tell you. I'm still careful never to drive past a certain mile marker without casting a grateful glance at that house in the woods.
2: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne.
3: A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. If that happens for you, send us an email at BYU.edu. Again, that's BYU.edu. Lots more coming up. You're going to hear from Dan Kedding and Diane Edgecombe in a moment. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the things that we see on screen, the books we read, the great songs that we invite into our lives, of course, the tales that we tell around the kitchen table or the living room or the campfire. And uh, increasingly, you know, the stuff we hear in radio and podcasts contributes to the story landscape of our lives. It's a pleasure to have in the studio with me Richie Stedman. Richie T., it's great to have you with us on the Appleseed. Thank you so much. Thanks for
5: joining us from The Lisa Show, where you make your home. Yeah, right here on BYU Radio, 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Pacific. Or you can just Google The Lisa Show.
3: Show podcast, right? Yeah. And here's something new just about every day there on the Lisa Show. And you are, uh, dare we say, podcast junkie.
5: Uh, I do love a good podcast. <laughs> Anything I can put in my ears, I will spout and tell people about out of my mouth. And that's what we're going to do here. Right. Uh, you've brought uh, uh, a favorite one to talk about. Yeah, I, you know it, this. I only have one child, so when people ask me what my favorite child is, that's an easy question. When people ask me what my favorite podcast is, much harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to pivot and say not my favorite, but one I enjoy quite a bit because <laughs> I, I think that it, I feel like each of them are my children, that they have feelings and that one would be betrayed by another. Sure. So you, you got to be careful what you say within earshot of the other. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, the ver- this one that I want to talk about, it's called The Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with this? You're, I'm about to be. Okay. So th- this is an adventure. I don't know if you were like me. But you had that father who stories was a huge part of his upbringing. And so I remember in his horrible old 1971 Toyota Corolla uh, (laughs) that, you know, we could literally see the freeway through the car, like like, through the rusted out (laughs) floor of the car because we just family of five that couldn't afford. And the the scratchy radio we would listen to late at night. Those old like 1930s, 1940s oh, yeah. radio programs. Well, uh, the radio ventures of Dr. Floyd is not that, but it is a huge homage to that um, for for kids yeah. that have no experience with that and are able to uh, to get into these stories. Um, that that they wouldn't otherwise hear, right? So Dr. Floyd, he's our good guy. He's got a nemesis as <laughs> doctors often do, doctors especially often do. in these adventures. C- certainly superhero doctors. Yeah, yeah. Certainly radio drama doctors. Exactly. Have nemeses, right? uh, it, his name is Dr. Steve. So Dr. <laughs> Steve and Dr. Floyd, ooh, foiled again. Um, they travel through time and space. Um, they go back and uh, they, they'll visit stories that we know and love, uh, whether they Maybe from the stage or, or from huh. the screen. So they'll kind of insert themselves into stories like, Annie, get your gun. Oh, got and, it. Uh, and, and take us on those adventures. Yeah. But what I really love about it, it is it is an art. Yeah. Um, this The radio adventures of Dr. Floyd, it is an art as the radio play was... Once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Be- between um, the Foley sound, and you can tell listening to it that it is not computer manufactured and inserted. It is fully created for this podcast, for every single episode and adventure that they do. It is fully created. And by Foley, yeah, I did of course, is... Uh, these these are these are sound effects created
3: kind of in the studio space. Yeah, right.
5: Like you can hear, you know, when they need to, the fire needs to crackle. <laughs> that's like it, they're Richie crinkling up his script. To yeah, make fire sounds. You you can hear yeah. that, and you can tell that it's created for that. So that's one thing that's awesome. The other thing is, um, so many times when I think of. We think of either family-friendly content, which yeah. is what this is, right. or we think about programming for kids. As adults, we kind of go, "Well, I guess I'll just take the dive and I'll and I'll do this so that it's something that I'll my sit kids with can my enjoy." Child exactly,
3: and enjoy the experience they're having to the
5: degree that I can. Yeah, right? that is not what this is. Yeah. This there is something that is so clever. In in some of the things that they do, plays on words yeah. and uh, tributes to things that your kids weren't alive for. That as you <laughs> listen, you're like, ah, it the, the the amount of times that I that I'm listening that I go either that was clever or I see what you did there and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> make <laughs> makes it an adventure that for me, I mean, I my my kid's 22. Yes. We're not sitting and listening to this together. It's something that I grab a hold to and yeah. go, "All right, let's let's see what happens with Dr. Steve this week, Dr. <laughs> Floyd." <laughs> these, you know, sometimes we we fool ourselves
3: into believing that that these kinds of radio drama experiences are are new in the in in in, in our time. You yeah, know, that that they sort of arose from the podcast landscape. You right, know? but these are really this. It, it's so interesting that this this, this new uh, technology, this new convention, has given rise to an interest in these uh, in these these audio experiences that have such deep roots. You know, in yeah. years gone by, you, know, yeah. you, you talk about listening to this this same sort of material when you were a kid, you know, in the old 71 Corolla. Yeah. You
5: know. and, and to me, I just love when you have writers like there are the the writers of the Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd and others yeah. who can really use. I mean, it sounds cliche or or trite or whatever, but who can really use words that make me see something yeah. in my head. <laughs> Like I, I don't know if it's literal figurative, I don't know the word I want to right. use to describe it yeah. but I'm seeing the adventure yeah. and hearing the adventure and and, and what I love uh, obviously because of that, experiencing the yeah, adventure. Yeah, and you get to I mean, you're fed so much information through
3: mm-hmm. the sound effects and through the dialogue and everything else and uh, there's still room in an audio experience like that for you to create part of the picture yourself and yeah. that's, that's part of the magic of something like this, right? Yeah, is, for sure. It becomes not only it becomes a little bit of a collaboration between what they're giving you and what you're creating you know there's some magical experiences to be had there well the podcast is called the radio adventures of dr floyd and it's got richie just feeling like he was a kid again darn you dr steve (laughs) a pleasure to have you on the apple scene richie thanks so much for joining us Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Richie, and we'll be sure to have him back. There's a lot more coming up. Up next, you're going to hear a story from Dan Kedding, the Chicago storyteller. He's going to tell a story from his own life called Rudy and the Roller Skate. And, of course, after that, you'll hear from Diane Edgecombe with a story about trees. It's a story called The Voice of the Creator. You won't want to miss either story. I'm Sam Payne.
2: You're listening to The Appleseed, We'll be back in a moment.
3: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with me on today's episode of The Appleseed. A moment ago, a conversation with Richie Stedman about the radio adventures of Dr. Floyd. And at the top of the hour, a story from Adam Booth called The Ice Cream Truck. Up next, we've got a story from Dan Kedding. This is a personal story called Rudy and the Roller Skate. Dan Kedding, when he was a kid, wanted nothing more than a dog. And one Christmas, he thought he was going to get what he wanted. But then it was just a tortoise. Well, it turned out better than he thought it would, but it still wasn't a dog. And eventually he met his grandmother's friend who had a dog named Rudy. And here's the story. Rudy and the Roller Skate by Dan Kedding on The Appleseed.
1: When I was a boy, I wanted a dog. I didn't care how big. I didn't care what kind. I just wanted a dog. But every time I brought it up to my grandmother, she would look at me and say, No dog for you. If I get you a dog, in one week you'll forget all about it. I'll have to take care of it and feed it and wash it and clean up after it. No dog. But I pestered and I begged and I pleaded and I nagged every chance I got. But she kept saying, No dog for you. That Christmas, there was a big box underneath the Christmas tree wrapped up in beautiful paper with holes punched in the box and the paper all over. And I thought, yes! She got me the dog! I was so excited. My whole body was trembling. And when it was my turn to open up a package, I ripped that paper off, took off the top of that box, looked down inside the box, and there was a... turtle. It was a big turtle. A big box turtle but it was a turtle. I lifted it up and it sucked its little head and its arms and legs into its shell and now I had a big green rock. I put it down on the carpet and grandma said, do you like it? Well what are you supposed to say to your grandma? Yeah Noni, it's really neat. After a while, the legs and arms and head came out and it started to walk around the living room. And I looked at that turtle and I thought to myself, well you know something? Maybe I can have fun with a turtle. And I ran up to my room and I got this paddle I had with a big long rubber band and a little red rubber ball at the end of it. And I took that little red rubber ball off and I ran downstairs and I bounced it in front of that turtle. His little head went up and then it went down. Of course, the ball had gone up and down four or five times while his head had gone up and down once, but I did have his attention. So I rolled the ball across the floor. He turned his head sideways, opened up his beak, and he grabbed that ball. And I thought to myself, Yes! I have a turtle that fetches! Then I tried to get the ball out of his beak. He didn't let go. Nobody told me that these things can hold on forever. I knocked on the shell. I grabbed the ball, swung him back and forth. He just wouldn't let go. Just about this time, my next-door neighbor, Harold, came over. Harold had really tiny fingers, and he got him right behind that ball. He was just about to pop that ball out when the turtle came down a little bit harder. Harold turned white as a ghost and started to scream. Got his hands out, and there were little red spots on his fingers. He started yelling, screaming about rabies. I turned to him and said, Harold, I don't think you can give a turtle rabies. But he wasn't listening. He just ran out the door. After about an hour the turtle dropped the ball and I realized he wasn't going to be a fetching turtle. So I decided to take him for a walk. It was a very mild Christmas. So we went outside and I put him down on the sidewalk and we went for our adventure. But it took us almost a half an hour to get to the corner and our house was the second house from the corner and this wasn't much fun either. So I did the only thing that a third grade boy can do with a turtle I took a little plastic machine gun and glued it to the top of his shell and turned him into an armored personnel carrier. Now I would line up my soldiers and let him go, and he would knock them down, and pretty soon all my friends wanted to come over and play with my turtle. I was the only kid in the block that had a living, breathing tank. Come April, I was outside with my soldiers. I had the Knights of the Round Table lined up against the Fifth Army. The turtle was ready to attack when Grandma called me in for lunch. After lunch I came out, well, the soldiers were all knocked down, but the turtle was nowhere to be found. I looked and I looked. I called Harold over, and after he found a pair of gloves, he came over to help. And we searched all afternoon, but we never found him. That July I finally found him. He had snuck into my aunt's flower garden and gone wild. Still had the little machine gun glued to the top of his shell. Nothing worse than an armed wild turtle. I decided to just let him live the rest of his days in that flower garden. He might still be there, for all I know. I spent that summer with my grandmother. When I wasn't playing baseball with my friends or running around through the alleys playing soldier, I went with my grandmother. I went with her when she went to church. I went with her when she went to the grocery store. I went with her when she went to funerals where she loved to sit and cry and cry. And I went with her when she visited Teta Marica. Now, Teta Marica lived in another neighborhood, and she was the matriarch of all the Croatian grandmothers. And once or twice a week, they all assembled there, and they gossiped and they talked. And sometimes they'd go to other houses, but for the most part, they tried to visit Teta Maritza's. She was the oldest and wisest of all the grandmothers. I remember the first time I went to see her in between third and fourth grade that summer. We got off the bus and walked to her bungalow, knocked on the door, and she opened it. She was a small, petite woman, dressed in a long black skirt, a white blouse and a white shawl over her head. She looked at me and she said, Dobro dan, Daniel. Dobro dan, teta I replied. Kakosi. Dobro, Kakositi. Dobro, Teta Maritza. And then she invited us in. Now, you could never get lost in Teta Maritza's house. There was this plastic runner that went through the hallway, through the living room, through the dining room, and ended at the kitchen door. If you stepped off that runner, God help you. All of Teta Maritza's furniture was covered in clear plastic. We never sat anywhere except the kitchen, the only comfortable room in the whole house. I remember that first visit, sat down at the table, and Teta Maritza looked at me and she says, I have something for you. And she pushed a big mug of coffee across the table to me. My first cup. Grandma scowled, but in Croatian society, the guest always does what the host asks. I looked at that coffee and I thought,
3: wow,
1: my first cup. Now, it wasn't that I was a bad kid, but nobody really wanted caffeine in my system. I mean, in fifth grade, Sister Marie traded me to Sister James for five students and a player to be named later. At the end of the year, Sister James thought she got a raw deal. Nobody wanted caffeine around me. And there it was, my first cup of coffee. I poured in some carnation canned milk. I put in four tablespoons of sugar, and I took my first sip. I was hooked. And then she slid a perfect donut on a plate across the table to me. I had heard about her donuts for years. She was famous for her donuts. It was beautiful. I lifted it up to my lips. I was just about to take my first bite when I heard her say, Dunk it! Excuse me? Dunk it! Dunk the donut in the coffee. Now, I was one of those kids who didn't like their food to touch on the plate, let alone deliberately put one food in another. I looked at her and panic set in. No, no, Teta Maritza. Now, see, if I do that, it'll get all soggy. Yeah, go ahead, dunk it. I said, no, no, see, I don't like my food to touch like that. It'll get soggy, and, and I'll throw up. That's right, I'll throw up. She said, dunk it. It all goes to the same place. I looked at her, and I looked at my grandmother, and I realized that I was the only person sitting at that table who had their own teeth. I wasn't going to win this one. So I dunked the donut. I watched the sugar coating disappear, and the dough turned soggy and stringy and I lifted it up to my lips and I was just about to take that first bite when then, there was this sound. What's that? I looked around, I looked under the table, and there in the corner, on a pile of carpets and blankets, there was this creature, about a foot and a half, two feet long, all brown with a white face and sitting in front of it was a bowl filled with coffee and floating in the middle was a donut. I turned to Teta Maditz and said, What's that? She looked at me and she said, That's Rudy, my dog. Rudy was a 14-year-old standard dachshund who weighed 84 pounds. I said, Oh, God. I finished the donut. Didn't taste too bad. By then, all the other grandmothers had come in. And now they were all just sitting there staring at me. They had to get rid of me. I was bilingual. If they gossiped in front of me, I'd blackmail them. I had done it the year before. So they snapped a leash on the dog, handed me the other end, and said, Take Rudy for a walk. And I looked at Teta Maritza and said, This thing moves? Rudy's whole belly was covered with scars and scabs because if he moved too fast, it bounced right off the floor. I opened up the back door, and there they were. Our first set of challenges. Five steps. Each step you heard a sickening thud. The boom, The bump, The bump, The bump, The boom. We made it down into the yard. We walked through the gangway, out to the front of the house. I looked both ways. I had hoped that the entire neighborhood had disappeared while I was in the house. But there were kids out. And we started our walk. Rudy only could walk a few feet before he had to stop and breathe. (coughs) Rudy had the worst breath in the world. He could kill a cockroach at four feet. Then he'd walk over and he'd eat it. Rudy ate anything that didn't move. I was always careful never to take a nap in front of Rudy. We started on our walk. The turtle was faster than this dog. Some of the kids in the neighborhood were yelling, Hey, hey, does that thing have legs? Hey, you having fun over there? I ignored him. It wasn't my neighborhood. It took us an hour and 45 minutes to go around the block. By the time we got back, my grandmother was ready to leave and we went home. Every week we visited Teta Marica. Every week I had to walk that dog. I hated that dog. I hated walking that dog. I hated being around that dog. People teased me when I walked him. He went so slow I could barely walk myself. It was horrible. One day, we were walking along, and I looked down at Rudy, and I said, you know, dog, what you need is a set of wheels. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't have these inline roller skates, and we didn't have skateboards. We had big metal frames that attached to our shoes, and we had to tighten them with a key, like a little wrench. And then we could go skating. Now, you couldn't use your gym shoes, because those rubber soles and heels would just bend. You had to use big stout shoes with heavy leather soles and heels, usually your Sunday school shoes. You'd get that key real tight, and off you'd go. And you know what would happen the minute you got those skates on your shoes? You lost the key. And there you were with skates attached to your good shoes. I used to pound them on with a hammer and make them really tight. One time, my grandmother made me go to church on Sunday wearing roller skates on my Sunday school shoes. Everything was really embarrassing till communion time. And I roller skated up the main aisle with all my friends giving me thumbs up. Father Angelo told my grandmother after church, next time he comes barefoot. I had one skate, I put it in a bag. I had an old beat up towel, I put that in the bag. And I had a beaded Indian belt made by a tribe that lives somewhere in Korea, and I put that in a bag. And off we went to visit Rudy and Teta Maritza. Grandma said, what do you have in the bag? And I said, toys for Rudy. She patted me on top of the head and said, good boy. And I thought to myself, You don't know how good. When Rudy and I went for our walk, we stood there in front of the house. I looked down at him and I said, Rudy, I've got a present for you. I put the roller skate down on the ground, rolled up the towel and put it on top of the skate so as not to injure his already brutalized body. I picked up his big heavy tummy, got that roller skate right underneath and I let go. Then I wrapped the belt around the roller skate and his body and Rudy and I went for a walk. And you know something he could keep up with me he was walking just fine he looked up at me with those big brown eyes as if to say wow this is great things were going perfect we're really walking down the block till we got to the middle and there was this hill that went down to Archer Avenue and when we hit that hill We couldn't stop moving. We went faster and faster down that hill. Poor Rudy's ears were flapping out like sails on a ship. His little eyes were wide open, and we came to the bottom of the hill and, phwoom, wrapped ourselves around a telephone pole. And Rudy looked up at me with those big eyes. And if you have a dog, you know what I mean. With those eyes, he said, let's do it again. And Rudy got really good on that roller skate. He got so good, we used to go down that hill and he'd tuck his front paws up and kind of body surf down that hill. The people on Archery Avenue used to stop and rub his ears. Even the cops on the beat used to say, hey, Rude, how you doing? And Rudy would look up and go, and that breath would kind of hit him and they'd go. The bus drivers on Archery Avenue used to stop their buses and say, ladies and gentlemen, if you look out the window, you'll see a young man walking a dog on a roller skate. And people would wave and I'd wave back. And all those kids who used to tease me, well, now they'd come over and say, Hey, man, can we walk the dog? And I'd say, Sure, for a quarter. And I split that money with Rudy. We made about $2 a week. And I'd buy him biscuits for his breath. And you know something? It almost worked. And sometimes my friends and I, we'd go across Archer Avenue to the park. And two or three of us would take Rudy up to the top of the slide. And two or three of us would wait at the bottom. We'd let Rudy go down that slide and just for a second or two, he'd be airborne. Then we'd catch him and we'd go underneath those big shady elm trees and we'd lay there and we'd take off that roller skate and we'd rub his belly and rub his ears. And that old dog had a look on his face that said, I've waited my whole life for this summer. And just before school started, Rudy and I were racing down the hill to Archer Avenue. And we got there and we waited for the light to change. And when it did, I tugged on the leash and said, let's go, Rudy." But Rudy didn't move. I got down on my hands and knees because with Rudy, you could never tell if he was lying down or sitting or standing up. And I said, what's wrong, boy? But his eyes were closed and Rudy had taken his last walk. And I lifted him up in my arms and I carried him up to the house. And I laid him down on the grass in the front lawn. I took off the roller skate because no one in the house knew about that. And then I rang the doorbell and Teta Maritza came out. And I told her that he was gone. And she looked at him lying there so peaceful in the grass and the tears started welling up in her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, He was a good dog, wasn't he, Dan? And you know, I didn't have to lie. I looked at her and I said, Teta Maritza, he was the best. The very best. And that's the true story of Rudy and the Roller Skate. Rudy and the Roller Skate,
3: told for you by Dan Kedding. And coming up now, we've got a story from Diane Edgecombe. This will wrap us up for today. It's a story called The Voice of the Creator, and we're happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. The Voice of the Creator, from Diane Edgecombe.
2: The Aborigines of Australia have a saying. They say that it's true that we need the land, but that's not the whole story. They say the land needs us. It needs to hear the laughter of our children. It needs to hear the pounding of feet to the rhythm of the dance. And it needs to hear the old stories told in a sacred manner. Here is one of their ancient stories. It's from the Anano people of Central Australia. In the dream time, the early days of this world when everything was dreamed into existence, the first people would gather every morning underneath the great solitary white gum tree. And there, just as the sun rose, the creator would speak to them And tell them of all the ways and mysteries of this world and the world to come. They would never see the Creator, but they would hear His voice, and it would fill them with the wonder of His presence. For countless years, sunrise was the time of meeting, and the first people were faithful, returning every day. But the weather was not always pleasant and the people were sometimes tired. They were, after all, only human, weak and flawed as we are. Some among them said they didn't always want to get up quite so early, and wouldn't it be nice to just sleep in once in a while? Little by little, the people faded away from those sunrise gatherings, until at last, on a morning filled with terrible wind and rain, no one came. No one gathered under the tree to listen for the voice of the Creator. And so the Creator left that place forever. But he did not abandon the people entirely. He sent his messenger, Nuranderi, to walk among them. Nuranderi was like a person, but much wiser. He taught the people all the practical things they needed to live in this world how to hunt, how to fish which fruits and berries were the best to eat. Most were happy with this practical knowledge. But there were some who missed those early days and how close they had been to the Creator. They longed to hear His voice again. And so, just before the sun rose, they returned to the gum tree and waited. But morning turned into afternoon, And only silence greeted them. Silence and their own emptiness and sorrow. Speak to us, the people cried out to the spirits of their ancestors. We are so lonely with only ourselves in this world. But their ancestors were silent. They went to their teacher. Nurenderi, they cried. You are the messenger of the Creator. Plead for us. Ask the Creator to return again. Nuranderi looked into eyes filled with anguish. I will try, he said, and left. When Nuranderi returned, he said, Gather once more by the great white gum tree, but do not go in the early morning hours. Gather in the darkness, in the middle of the night. The Creator will not return, but will send you a sign. So in the dark of the night, The people went to the great white gum, rising like a ghost out of the brush. They huddled near the tree, alone and afraid. Looking up, they saw the stars of the Milky Way arching above them. They called out to Wyandero, the spirit in the Milky Way. Wyandero, we are frightened. What will become of us? Wyandero did not answer. But as they were looking up, a great Tongue of fire split the night sky. It zigzagged down from heaven right through the great gum tree. Down it went until it touched the earth. As it vanished, the white gum tree sealed itself and was whole once more. Then Wyandero called out, Remember this sign, people of the earth. Know that the voice of the creator has entered not only this tree, but everything in this world. In time to come, the Creator will speak to you in the sounds of all living things. Always He will speak to you, but in different ways. Listen and try to understand. The people of the earth were quiet. They listened to the rustling of the leaves in the wind, the cries of the birds, and the murmuring voice of the river. They listened. And within those sounds, they felt the presence of the Creator, taking them deeper, ever deeper into the mystery of creation.
3: The voice of the Creator. A story told for you by Diane Edgecombe, who has collected stories about trees from all over the world. It's been great sharing these stories with you today. Not only that story, but also, of course, the ice cream truck from Adam Booth. And the story Rudy and the roller Skate from the Chicago storyteller Dan Kedding. And before we go, we want to remind you to join us at byuradio.org service. We've got a month-long service project going on, trying to collect 10,000 Acts of Service. Large and small they can be whatever you want. You can make cookies for someone. You can tell a story to someone. You can mow someone's lawn. We'd love to hear about it. You can find out again more information about the Bring It Service Project activity at byuradio.org slash service. We'd love to hear about the things that you're doing in our quest for 10,000 service projects. And of course I'm Sam Payne and I can't wait to have you with us again on The Appleseed.
2: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.